0: Welcome to the Grace Church's podcast. The message you are about to hear was recorded live during our Sunday service. Follow along with the message by downloading our app, available for both Apple and Android phones. And now, for our message. If you have your Bible, would you turn to Acts chapter 16? Acts chapter 16. We're going to continue. We pivoted last week and we're really focusing on specifically answering with great detail this question of what happens when we worship. And of course we know that we're aligning with heaven. When we worship we are aligning with what's going on in eternity. It's always fun for me to think when we're singing like this morning and you know, singing, how great is our God. You know they I don't know what songs they sing exactly in heaven. It could be just the ones that are in Revelation. My suspicion is they're singing a whole lot of songs in heaven, but they may be singing that song in heaven, you know? And so we're aligning with the angels and those four living creatures and the 12, and the 12 elders on the thrones. We are, our 24 elders on the thrones. We are there and we are worshiping with them when we align our hearts to say we're going to bring God attention and, and um, honor and adoration. When we worship, we become like that which we worship. We become like God. We become like him in his, in his qualities, in his characteristics, in his perceptions, in his priorities. When we worship 2 Chronicles chapter 6 last week, we are inviting God's presence in power into our circumstances. You know, when the, when the Ark of the Covenant was brought into that most holy place and the priests came out and they were blowing the trumpets and playing the harps and singing with loud voices and all of a sudden the cloud filled that space, that's what happens. You don't, we don't often see the cloud, but you feel the cloud. When you're in worship, when you're, there are moments in time where you're like, whoa, you're here. Yes, he is. His power and his presence are made manifest when we worship him. This week and next, I'm going to talk about one concept in two different contexts. Turn to the person next to you and say, one concept, two contexts. Or say, that sounds like a tongue twister. But either way, one concept. We're going to do the same concept two weeks in a row. Because it's super important. We're going to drive it down. One's in the New Testament. One is in the Old Testament. The first one occurs in a very small setting. A very intimate setting. Very much hidden and private. But in the darkness, there are two men who are going through an extraordinarily difficult time. An awful situation. The second situation takes place on a national scale. It's a very grand and and public place. It's a big stage. But both situations are equally helpless. And we're going to look at these two because here's the concept. We're going to look at them because we're going to see how God completely changes the circumstance simply because the people that are involved in it choose to worship him. There's a lot going on in the stories, but worship plays a central role in both stories and in the breakthrough that takes place. And this is not a coincidence. When you read your Bible, when you you take time in the Scriptures, and you're reading through the Scriptures, and you see something, I want to remind you, it's one of my my soapboxes, but I want to remind you that what you have in your Bible is given to you by the Holy Spirit through the writing of men on purpose. Everything in the book is on purpose. It's not random. It's like, oh, let's just add that. That doesn't happen. Scripture says those men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They wrote down what the Spirit said for them to write down. So if it feels like, oh, that's kind of a weird thing, it probably is. But it's still in there on purpose. So when we read stories like this and, you know, just... All of a sudden, there's worship in the center of a very difficult situation, and it seems to be that that God is showing us something. He is. He's showing us that this is not just some random thing that took place that happened to line up. They were singing, and the next thing you know, something happened. There's a connection. It's not a coincidence. The Lord is showing us. He's demonstrating that worship is actually a weapon. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, worship is a weapon. Worship's a weapon. And for us, in times of difficulty, in times of crisis, in times of uncertainty, in times of attack, we must worship. It's not we can worship. We certainly can. We must worship. We must worship. In Acts chapter 16, the group that is with the Apostle Paul which includes his co-laborer, a man named Silas. Uh, Luke, who is recording what happens in the book of Acts, happens to be on this particular part of the journey. Luke, uh, Paul has kind of like an entourage, and they have a plan. They're going to go to a certain place, and in the midst of that plan, in the midst of going where they're supposed to go, they, Paul has a vision of a man saying, come over here and help us. It's the Macedonian call. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the Macedonian call. They used to write songs about the Macedonian call. They shifted, and now they begin to go into that area of Macedonia, and they end up in a little city called Philippi. It's the city that Paul later writes the letter to the Philippians. It is that city. It's the believers in that city. As a matter of fact, you're seeing potentially how that church got started because of what happens in Acts chapter 16. So they they get this call. This group that's with Paul, Paul, Silas, Luke, and others, they get this call, they shift, they go over to Macedonia, they end up in Philippi, it says on the Lord's Day, they were looking for a place of prayer, and so they end up down by the river, and they're down by the river, and they're praying, and there's a lady there, there's other ladies there, but there's this woman there, and her name's Lydia, and and she's just, she's open, she's open to the gospel, and she's ministered to, and she eventually accepts Christ, and is baptized there in the river. And then it says that she tells the group she's, she's wealthy, that we learned from the text that, that she is a seller or a merchant in purple. She probably was a, a woman of some means. She could have been a widow, but she may have just been a businesswoman, which is kind of cool. And uh, she says, um, I, this is how I think it happens. I think she says, hey, the kids are all grown. Why don't you all come over to my house? I've got this big house. And they all go, and this whole entourage stays at this lady named Lydia's house. And we don't know how long they stay there, but it becomes like a a, uh, base of operations. In missions work, she would be called a person of peace. This was an entree into this community. And so they're doing ministry in Philippi, apparently somewhat fruitful ministry, and they decide at some point later to go back to this river, to this same place of prayer. Now, there's a, a girl, a slave girl in Philippi. She's a slave, so therefore she is owned. And this slave girl is um, possessed by a demonic spirit. She's controlled by the enemy. And one of the days that they're going to this place of prayer at the river, this gal starts following, following this group of ministers, and she is calling out. This is what she says. Luke, cha- I'm sorry, Acts chapter 16, verse 17 says this. These are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. That's what this demon-possessed girl is saying. By the way, all of that's true. These are the servants of the Most High God, and they are declaring to you the way of salvation. What she said was true. The way that she said it, this is where you want to see the dramatized uh, from the Holy Spirit Bible, you know. I cannot imagine how she said it, because what, it's, it's true, but it was obviously Not glorifying of God. She's possessed by the enemy. It's something, here's a side note. The enemy never glorifies God ever, period. So if the enemy's saying it, it ain't glorifying Jesus. So this woman is screaming. I don't know if she's mocking. I don't know if she's sarcastic. I don't know if she's just like being really creepy. I mean, who knows? But she's saying something in such a way that it becomes an issue for the group to do ministry. And at some point later, Paul apparently, I love this part, Paul's just like annoyed with her. It says in the the ESV, greatly annoyed. It's like, I've had enough of this girl following us around, cackling at us with this whatever. And he casts the demon out of this girl. And she is immediately set free. This demonic spirit, whoosh, out. She is totally and completely set free. And then I want to pick up the story. Acts chapter 16. Look at verse 19 with me. It'll be on the screen. It says this, but when her owners, remember she was a slave, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seize Paul and Silas and they drag them into the marketplace before the rulers verse 20 and when they had brought them to the magistrates they said these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept our practice verse 22 the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave them order and gave orders to beat them with rods and when they had inflicted many blows upon them threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Verse 24, having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. They immediately get in trouble. It's funny, one of those contrasts. She was demon-possessed. They were free. She gets set free. They get put in jail. Just crazy how that takes place. This gal that had been tormented is now free, but the people that helped bring her to that place by the Holy Spirit are now in prison. They're accused of disturbing the, pace, the peace. They're Jews. This is a Roman, uh, you know, a Roman area. And so they end up in the inner prison. Now what what is actually going on here? Think about what they experienced. They went from doing ministry. There was some good fruit. Lydia's there. Everybody, base of operations. Yes, God. We're taking Philippi for God, you know. Then this crazy lady, I'm sorry, this demon-possessed lady starts bugging them. They deal with her and all of a sudden she's set free and the demon's gone. Good stuff's happening. Turn to the person next to you and say, good stuff is happening. And there's good stuff happening here. And then, because of good stuff happening, which is not the way it's supposed to work, right? When you do everything you're supposed to do for God, everything's supposed to be perfect all the time. Amen? Right. It's like they run up against the kingdom of darkness. Now there's a fight on. And they get in huge trouble. It says in the text, verse 22 says, the crowd is attacking them. And I'm not trying to draw a necessarily one-for-one analogy here. But think about it. I see pictures of rioting or videos of rioting. I mean, there's something about that stuff. It makes me just totally, just, oh, it's so distasteful. People out of control being violent is not a pretty thing. It's a spirit. People get all jacked up, and they're super angry, and they are attacking Paul and Silas. The magistrates strip them. I know it's easy to read past that in the, in the text, but they're They're naked. It's bad enough being out in public. It's bad enough being in public in a riot or in a, in a place where there's a big fight going on and you're the object of the fight. Now you're in that position. You got no clothes. And then the magistrates ordered that they would be beaten with rods. Text says they suffer many blows. And thrown into jail. It says the inner prison, which would be the most secure place, probably at night, um, all of the prisoners would be brought into one place so that they're easier to be watched over in, in the evening and they would be all chained together. So they're in this inner prison, all chained together, and it says that their legs are in stocks. They were almost certainly bleeding, inflicted many blows with, with rods. They're not able to do anything to treat their wounds. They can get no medical care, of course. They're either standing or seated, but they're in these stocks. They're unable to move. I mean, I'm not trying to be overly graphic. I just want this to rest on your heart. They they can't relieve themselves in any kind of privacy or in an appropriate area. They're in the dark, they're confined, it's damp, it's horrid smelling space. There's With a bunch of criminals, they can see nothing. They can smell, you know, just the, the sweat and mold and urine and waste. And they hear the moans and the curses of the other prisoners. And they are got to be thirsty, hungry. They can't move freely. I have a question for you. Does this qualify as an especially bad day? This is an especially bad day. Raise your hand if you've ever had a bad day. Your hand should be up. We're allowed to have bad days. This is part of being on this planet. I have never had that bad day. That's in its own category of bad day. Here they are, being obedient, doing what God told them to do, following the Spirit. Good fruit's coming, and all of this just breaks upon them, and they're in this awful situation. And I can tell you for me, I don't know about you, but I'm going to speak for me. The last thing that I want to do in that moment is worship. And that's exactly what they do. Look with me, starting in verse 25. This is about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfashioned. And the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, and he drew his sword. He was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Verse 28, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Verse 29, and the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out, and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? really good day, really bad day, really good day. I mean, talk about the roller coaster. Powerful. They're there at midnight, Paul and Silas. In all of that that I just described, in the awfulness of it, they're praying, and they're worshiping, and the other prisoners are listening, and then suddenly, a miraculous earthquake takes place. Why is it a miraculous earthquake? It's an unusual earthquake, if nothing else. Think about it. This earthquake is so strong it shakes the foundations of the prison causes all of the chains to pop off of the walls where they're anchored and all of the shackles to come off of the ankles and wrists of those that are bound but the building itself stays intact it shook so much that all that stuff popped off but the whole thing didn't come down that sounds to me like a miracle earthquake apparently that's a different message all earthquakes are not created equal and the jailer sees the doors are open. He's like, oh, great. Here goes my life because he's responsible. And so he, he pulls his sword out. He's going to kill himself. And, of course, Paul stops him. He brings in light, sees the situation. What would that have been like? Imagine that one. He comes into the inner prison where all these guys are. Everybody's still there, but everybody's loose. But they're all just sitting there in this moment. No wonder he wanted to understand how to be saved. He pulls Paul and Silas out, falls at their feet, and asks about salvation. Now, obviously, Paul and Silas were praying. It says in the text they were praying. But it also says that they were singing hymns to God. And when Luke writes this down in the book of Acts, he specifically says that they were singing. And he says this right before he talks about the earthquake that comes. In the darkest hour, in the worst possible situation, these men were bringing honor and adoration. In a time when it was least easy to worship, they're going for it. They're praising. And I want to just make clear, this is not a natural reaction. This is not a natural reaction. It wasn't like, you ever, ever, if you grew up in church like I did, we had all kinds of children's ministry stuff. And you see pictures appropriately, age appropriately depicted of this moment, you know, where you've got Paul and Silas chained up. They always kind of look a little sad, but they're children's pictures, right? So they're kind of half smiling, you know. I don't think that they were in there beside each other, chained with their legs in these stocks going, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord, I don't think that's what's going on. That's not what's happening. Think about where they're at, what's going on, who they're with, what they're sitting in. It's the worst. And I don't think the song was something, you know, that just burst out of them like, you know, a mighty fortress is our God. I think it's that scratchy voice that you have in the morning when you're trying to talk. And they're damp and wet and just, it's, it's an act of the will. It's a faith-filled decision. In the midst of this awful, I'm going to worship. And I would say this. I would argue this. This is one of my things. I think they worship in part because they were experiencing the reaction that was established in other times. It was the fruit of them worshiping all of the other days. Good days, bad days, when it was easy, when it wasn't easy. Worship, when it becomes a lifestyle, pours forth out of us in times where things are dark and desperate. We're not interested in becoming people that sing songs well. We are interested in becoming people that worship God all the time no matter what, no matter what's going on around us. Do you know why when you're here at Grace and we gather together for any kind of a, of a, of a service, we just always, so like this morning, just encouraging you, like, you know, lift your hands, clap, sing loud, you know, tell your face you're, you like Jesus, whatever. You know, we're just encouraging you to do things like that. Here, here's the thing. It's not just so we can feel better. Oh, look, they really sang this morning. That's not it at all. I mean, I want you to sing. Don't get me wrong. But we are building a collective mindset that says this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my lips. And if we can't worship when it's relatively cool and we're in this space, this safe space together, what's it going to be like in the prison? We want to build up our personal default of worship. We want to become people that worship all of the time, even when we don't feel like it, so that when we are in places that all we can do is worship, it flows out of us. It's not natural to pray like that. It's not natural to worship like that. Paul and Silas are in the worst situation, and yet when they worshiped, God worked a miracle. God broke through. With whatever voices they had, they began to praise God. They began to sing hymns. And God brought an earthquake and set people free. And Literally, not just even them. It says the prisoners, they were all set free. The bonds were broken. The, the doors flew open. And, which is fantastic, except for one thing. Is that possible now? Are we just learning about history like, yeah, that's a cool story, man. I wish God still did something. Or do we have the faith to believe that if we will worship him in the midst of difficulty, that he will still bring deliverance, that he'll still bring freedom, that he'll still set people free? That's the question. We have to settle that individually. But I'm telling you, my conviction is this, is that God still sets people free. And he oftentimes will use worship as the catalyst for breaking through. Worship precedes breakthrough. Worship precedes breakthrough. People are still set free when they worship. They're still set free when they're delivered from bondage. And here's the thing. If you want to worship in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the yuck, if you want to see the breakthrough, I have one word of encouragement for you. Do not look around you at the prison cell. That is never going to propel you into worship. Man. Look how terrible this is, you know? I love, <laughs> the pastor thing, I love when people come to me and say, this really didn't go well. I always think, appreciate you saying that. I, I'm pretty alert when things don't go well, you know? It's like, don't point that stuff out to me. But we do it to ourselves all the time. We rehearse, this is wrong and this is wrong. And if the government would just say, I sure do wish this person that and no, all that, whatever. Whatever. If you're contending for someone to have breakthrough in your life personally or you're contending for someone else to have breakthrough, your family, your friend, whatever, you have got to. I have got to look up and worship him. Put all the attention on him. He will deal with everything here. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't need my help. You see, Lord, if you did it this way, then you could break all these people out of here. God just is so gracious. He's not like I would be i be like, shut it, enough, all right, I'm taking care of it. He just listens to us and says, whatever, because he will do his thing for us. What he wants us to do is give him praise. Worship him in the midst of the worst of it all. Just keep looking at him and saying, I know you got this. I know you have this. You ever notice in Scripture, I'm almost finished, you ever notice in Scripture where um, when people get healed by Jesus or healed by one of the, the disciples, what's the re- natural reaction when someone gets healed? they're lame and they can walk or they're blind, they can see, they're set free from demons or whatever. What do they do? Yeah, they praise. I mean, it's the most natural thing in the world is to fall down at the feet of Jesus and say, I worship you. Thank you so much. You've done all this for me. It's the best thing in the world. It makes perfect sense. Let me tell you something. It is the most natural reaction on the other side of having a breakthrough to give God praise, but it is also a natural cause too. If Jesus steps in and heals me and I worship him over here, I'm going to tell you something. If you come over here on the front side of the breakthrough and you start worshiping, it prepares the ground for this thing that you're praying for. You worship him till the breakthrough comes, not just worship him after the breakthrough has come. We invite him to do the thing that he does by giving him glory beforehand. But we have to be ready. We have to be ready. I don't think that Paul and Silas were there in the prison, praying and worshiping the Lord, singing hymns together. I don't think they were saying, do you, do you know one of those new songs? Let's sing that new song. You know, do you have all the words down? I don't think they were interacting with each other, trying to figure out the words to the song. In those dark places, in that dark prison, you know what comes out of you? Whatever is down in the deepest place of your spirit. It, whatever was down the, in, 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 the, in the place that they reverted back to when they had no energy and no focus and nothing except God be merciful to us. And they began to sing. Whatever was the default inside of them came out that night. I promise you. It wasn't the latest worship song that was being played in Jerusalem. Do you have a song for the darkness? Do you have a psalm? or a lyric, or a passage of scripture that you can whisper in those moments, that you can sing in that time, that you can shout when you need to in the inner prison, waiting for him to bring the breakthrough? You gotta. You gotta have a song. I would say you gotta have a whole bunch of songs. I brought some examples. When I was uh, young and really dumb, I I, I defied my parents into letting me join the military. You, you've heard this story before. I rebelliously said, you're not going to tell me what to do. I will join the military. Where people tell you what to do constantly. <laughs> I never had it so good. I didn't realize, you know. I don't need your rules. I'll take their rules. They have more. And I can, I mean, I was not a tough guy. I thought I was. I was not, I'm not really a tough guy at all. Like 10 minutes in, I realized I wasn't a tough guy. And I wanted out badly, and I was stuck. It was the best thing in the world. Parents, best thing in the world. (laughs) Just took me away from everything, and Jesus could deal with me. Anyway, I was there, and I wanted out, and I was in the depths of my own personal grief of I've made the worst decision in my life, all 17 years old of me. Oh, yeah, my my mom signed to let me go in early because I was so sure that I was right. Oh, sure. Take my son. But I was in this place where I just, ugh. God, what did I do? I'm so sorry. I remember waking up at 4.30 in the morning. Yes, that's what time we got up. And all I wanted to do was die and just get out of there. And I can remember laying in my little bunk and in my spirit. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. And it was like, and I learned something. I got all this stuff inside of me from when I was a kid. When I was having a bad attitude in church, not wanting to do anything, it's all in there someplace, and I started to worship the Lord. And I encouraged myself out of that moment, and the breakthrough started to come. I've been in places where, you know that song, I, know, I won't even begin to try to sing it like her, but that Nicole C. Mullen song, I Know That My Redeemer Lives, quoted that passage. I know that my Redeemer lives, and when, I, and when in the end he will appear upon the earth, it says in Job chapter 19, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? It works whether you sing them or not. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name. See what I mean? Those are the ones that are deep down inside. Those are the ones that that will come out of us in the inner prison, in the dark place. We worship because worship precedes breakthrough. And before we need that breakthrough, we put all that good stuff inside of us from the scriptures, from choruses, from hymns, from lyrics, from little snippets of of verses of the scripture, whatever. We get all of that inside of us and we build a Philippian jail playlist. Everybody needs a Philippian jail playlist. As a matter of fact, I didn't tell first service this. Whatever's on your Philippian jail playlist, you're like, what are you talking about? The, the, the list of songs or psalms or texts of scripture or whatever that you go back to when you're waiting for God to break through. I didn't tell first service, but we're gonna, I'm going to invite you to put those on our private Facebook page. Just share your, share your songs, share your scripture, share your whatever that you go back to as a way of anchoring yourself as you wait for God to break through. We all need one of those playlists. We need songs and scripture in our hearts when it's dark because worship in the dark precedes breakthrough into the light. I want us to pray together and then we're going to sing to finish this morning. So would you stand with me, please? The worship team's going to come up and give me a hand. I guess I guess I should say this. I made it sound like you have to be in the Philippian jail to be able to access the Philippian jailer playlist. You don't. We need to be a people who are worshiping the Lord all the time. All the time. Friends, if you, if you and I try to figure out what's going on around us, it's just it's overwhelming. The quickest way for me to get irritated and have a bad attitude and feel disappointed and hopeless is to read the news. And I'm not saying be ignorant of what's happening around you, but it's just, it's awful. It's just awful. It's in some ways like the jail around us. God doesn't need my help figuring out what to do with this broken world, but he does respond to my praise. And so I wanna encourage you, look up, look up. Don't try to figure it out. Don't, don't waste your energy griping on social media. Just lift up your eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord, right? He's the glory and the lifter of my head. Look up. We want to look up, and we want to praise, not just in response to his goodness. We want to praise anticipating his goodness. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you this morning. Lord, we we want to be a people who don't just sing worship songs or speak worship words. Lord, we want to be a people who are worshipers all the time, all the time, bringing you glory, bringing you praise, filling our minds, filling our hearts with the riches of your word, Lord, so that in the prison, it just comes out with that scratchy voice and In the midst of the pain, in the midst of tears, in the midst of what feels like an absolutely hopeless situation, we are able to say in those moments, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know it. That we're able to sing those lyrics, that we're able to to bring glory to you, Lord, so that there is a breakthrough. Because we know you're going to come, Lord you're going to come you always come one way or the other you always show up and you always deliver lord one way or the other you are faithful you are absolutely completely dependable it's going to happen what the, what's in question is what are we doing in the meantime and are we bringing you praise and lord i want us to be a people who glorify you regardless of whatever else is going on as your people have been throughout the ages of the church lord a people of worship i pray for this particular family lord our our Grace Church family, Lord, that we would become these people for your glory, for your praise. That we would become a people set on bringing you honor and glory and, and, and adoration, Lord, regardless of circumstance. I pray this this morning in Jesus' awesome name. Amen. Amen. Would you sing with me? if you would. Let me bless you before you go. Grace Church family, friends, visitors online, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are part of a holy nation, and you belong to God. Go from this place declaring the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Go out of this place remembering that That at one time you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. At one time you had not received mercy, now you have received his mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this message made a difference in your life. If you would like more information about Grace Church, visit us on the web at grace417.com or connect with us by filling out a connection card on our app.